0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe podcast network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm your host, Nara Wang. And for episode 21, we're going to take a little departure from the norm. Usually on the show, we mostly talk about SE's teams, but this one is going to focus more on a member of the Trojan family who is working in the world of sports. I'm thrilled to have as my guest today, a fellow USC alumnus, Chuck Garfine, who covers the Chicago White Sox as an anchor, reporter, and podcaster for NBC Sports Chicago. Chuck, thanks for joining the Everything USC podcast. How are you doing? Well, as a
0: fellow USC alum, I am honored to be on with you, Fight on, Nara, and it's great to be with you.
1: Great to hear it. And of course, if you enjoy listening to this show, you can subscribe and rate it wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, or more. And of course, you can always go to the website Believe.com, which is B-L-E-A-V, dot com on social media at believe Podcasts for me i'm on twitter you can find and follow me there at nara wang sports n-a-r-a-w-e-n-g sports chuck why don't you let the people know where they can find you whether it's social media tv wherever you are in the world well you can find me on nbc sports chicago i cover the white Sox and
0: on twitter i'm at chuck garfine g-a-r-f-i-e-n
1: The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by BetOnline. Football might be over, but the NBA, NHL, and college hoops are in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is at BetOnline.ag. Are the Lakers going to repeat as NBA champs? Can USC do some damage in the big dance? If you feel you know the answers, those are just a couple of the things you can bet on at BetOnline. BetOnline even covers television, including award shows and reality TV. BetOnline has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And, of course, the 24-hour online casino. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So Chuck, I want to begin our show by taking you down memory lane. When a young Chuck Garfine left the suburbs of Chicago to go to college at USC, what was he like and what was he expecting to get out of becoming a Trojan? <laughs> it's funny you ask. So
0: I graduated from high school and I was really fortunate that I went to Homewood Flossmore High School, which is in the south suburbs of Chicago. And there was a student-run radio station. So I already had four years of broadcasting experience under my belt, radio broadcasting experience as you know, an 18-year-old. And I went to USC interested in two things for my career. One was to potentially be a sportscaster, and the other was to be a director, screenwriter, doing something in Hollywood. But as every year went on, I would come back to Chicago, and I would intern at either a TV station or a radio station and that really solidified my belief that sports casting was what I wanted to do. It was funny that, you know, at the time, this is 1989, USC's radio station was not doing very well. It only could be heard on campus basically. And I had come from a high school radio station that was the highest powered high school radio station in the country. And when I interviewed with the station manager at USC, it was a student, a senior, I already had a resume and he looked at my resume and he goes, man, you're more experienced than I am. And I was an incoming freshman. Times have changed, I'm sure, since then. And I was not a journalism major. I ended up majoring in communications, but being at USC was, you know, I had great hopes for myself, a lot of ambition, was really motivated. And... I had an incredible time there. I wish, looking back, that I went through the journalism school, because I think that would have really helped with my writing, with really preparing myself more for a broadcasting career. I kind of like did it on my own, figured it out for myself, and I could have used a journalism degree, which I did not end up doing. But it's one thing to look back and know all the answers. I didn't have all the answers. I was figuring things out for myself, but it really was a big stepping stone for me going to USC and figuring out what the next step was going to be when I graduated.
1: Well, we are all always figuring ourselves out, I think, when we get to college. And by the way, when I was at KSCR, the student-run radio station in my time, and I was there from 94 to 98, it still barely reached beyond campus. So things didn't change that much between you and me. It's probably a little bit better now. They've got so many great new facilities there at the Annenberg School, and campus is basically out of control now with how much it's changed since I was there, and I'm sure since obviously you were there. And so how do you feel the time at USC helped you in your career?
0: You know, it's funny, and I was kind of alluding to it. I didn't fully take advantage of the situation when I was there and looking back on it while I was at USC. I really was you know, using my summers back in Chicago to get that broadcasting experience. But I will say this, that while I was at USC, I think I loved sports. And being away from Chicago and just experiencing sports in LA just solidified my love for sports. And I really got so caught up in USC football and USC basketball and just the LA sports scene that you know, and even though I was in, you know, near Hollywood, and I was really caught up in the movie industry as well. I just, I feel like being just immersed in sports and LA sports really was like, man, I, I really want to be a sportscaster here. And I would watch all the local sports guys like Fred Rogan on the local channels. And I was like, man, I want to do this. The desire, there was like a burning desire for me to be a sportscaster. And I was only kind of Coming from a Chicago sports casting and sports landscape, and there was a little ESPN was still in its infancy. So to be in LA and watch how they were covering sports, the uh, motivation just only increased by me being there, experiencing it, and then just knowing by senior year, I'm like, this is what
1: I want to do. What were some of your favorite moments as a student, whether it was at games or just on campus, whatever?
0: All right, so there are, I have so many. I mean, this could be like a five-hour podcast for that question. <laughs> but I'll tell you my first one, which is really kind of funny looking back. So I'm from Chicago, as I said. University of Illinois you know, was really just my, one of my favorite teams because I'm from Chicago, from Illinois. My very first game as a USC student, USC was at home randomly against the University of Illinois. The quarterback was Jeff George. And I have basically been now brainwashed to love USC. Like you come in as a freshman and they're just like, they're teaching you the fight song. They're teaching you like how to be a fan. And for someone like myself who did not grow up in LA, I'm thinking, all right, this is great. I am all on board USC. Here we go. And oh, my first game's against Illinois. Okay, fine. Illinois, you stink. I'm a Trojan now. We're going to beat you. And I am immersed in this game. I've got a great seat at the Coliseum. USC's winning 13 to nothing with, I believe, six minutes to go. And Jeff George leads them to a comeback victory over my Trojans
1: in my very first game.
0: So that it it was, but it was all, it was great from there because I could then say that USC would go on to the Rose Bowl. They beat Bo Shembeckler in his final game. USC beat Lou Holtz in his final game at Notre Dame. And my favorite game of all time was this incredible game against UCLA at the Rose Bowl. Larry Smith was the head coach. Johnny Morton caught this amazing catch. I believe there were 42 points scored in the fourth quarter combined between USC and UCLA. And SC hung on on this touchdown by Johnny Morton. Couldn't believe it. And that was probably my favorite game I I went to as a student at the Rose Bowl, beating those Bruins because we don't like the Bruins.
1: For sure. And you got to experience that. I was there for the worst four years of USC athletics in oh, history. No. Yes. Oh, no. Because I am the only four-year class in USC history to not beat UCLA in football or men's basketball.
0: But you know what? You were the reason that you got, we all got Pete Carroll. If it wasn't for you, Pete Carroll wouldn't have been there,
1: right? Well, eventually, we had to deal with Paul Hackett for a few years before that, but I was there actually, that last game coached by Lou Holtz for Notre Dame, I was one of the students running on the field after we stormed the field to usher out Lou Holtz as a loser, so I was happy about that. We did beat Notre Dame twice, so we're not the worst four years of USC football, but as a whole, it was the worst four years of athletics because... 0 for football and men's basketball against UCLA, and did not win a national championship in any sport until my junior year, which was women's swimming and diving, and then the baseball team won as a senior my outgoing year. So two national titles in four years. In Pete Carroll's first championship season, the USC Athletic Department won three in the first semester of the school year. So that incoming freshman class already beat my four-year total, you know? The way that I look at it, look, you're
0: a USC student for four years. You're a USC alum for life. You know, you can't time it. You can't time it how the teams are going to be when you're a student, but you get to reap the benefits for the rest of your life. And when I was there, it started out great. Todd Marinovich was the quarterback. They win the Rose Bowl. Then they're, you know, going to the, I think it was the Sun Bowl, and they lost that game. It was pretty bad after that you know, while I was a student, but, you know, to then get the Pete Carroll days as an alum, I mean, that was, that'll
1: never be topped. I loved it. So it was worth it. Yeah, those were definitely good days. Although there was a little bit of envy, I'm not going to lie. And by the way, when you bring up the University of Illinois, one of the games I got to call as a student broadcaster was at the University of Illinois when SC went into Champaign and absolutely destroyed the Illini. So I got to call that game, which also featured the longest play from scrimmage in USC history. Backup quarterback Matt Koffler hit RJ Soward for a 97 yard touchdown bomb in that game. So I got to call that moment. And I got to see Dick Buckus after the game, a very unhappy Dick Buckus after the game in the press box. So <laughs> there's that story from my USC Illinois football game.
0: I don't remember this game. Where was I? What year was this? What the USC went to Illinois?
1: Yeah, this would have been 1996. 96? Ninety-six. Wow, I don't even remember
0: this. That's crazy. I think I thought I remembered every single USC game over the last, you know, 30 years. I don't remember this one. And this was maybe I was still damaged by the uh, Illinois win over <laughs> the Trojans in '89. Still nightmares of Jeff George in your head. Yes.
1: Well, how often are you able to get back to campus? Obviously, you're a busy guy with the job you have. Have you been able to get back and see all the new things they've built up and get to a game or anything like that?
0: Yeah. So I was back there, I want to say three years ago for a USC Notre Dame game. And as luck would have it, it rained. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Which is just, I think that was the first time I've ever been to a USC game in LA when it rained. So that stunk. But yeah, I've been back probably six or seven times since I graduated. One time I was working in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the ABC station. This was when Carson Palmer was there and Kelly, was that his name? Kareem Kelly. Kareem 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 Kelly? Kelly. Yeah. Kareem Kelly. And they were playing Penn State and I covered Penn State and Harrisburg. And so I went to LA and I did a story on the, the Trojans facing off because it was it was the kickoff classic. They were starting the season. It was USC versus Penn State. So that was actually a thrill for me, not only to come back to USC, but to get to actually be a sportscaster doing a story on the USC football team. Like it there, there was a dream of I mean, the dream of mine was to get back to Chicago and be a sportscaster. And I've gotten to fulfill that. And I still pinched myself that I got to do that. But another dream of mine was to be a sportscaster covering USC. And I never really did that. But for one day, I got to like, be a sportscaster interviewing the USC players. And that was just a thrill for me. And I'm glad having this conversation. I hadn't really thought about it in a long time. And now it's bringing back memories. And how special that was for me and how lucky I was getting that opportunity. And you know, it was when you're in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the last thing you're expecting is, yeah, I'm going to go back to my school in LA and do a story for work. And it was like the gates opened and I was allowed to do that. And that was a very special day for my life and my career getting to do that.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And so obviously you keep up with USC athletics. The USC men's basketball team is doing pretty well, 18 and three as we speak here, right now which is the best record since 1973-74 season for the Trojans the best start how do you keep up with watching these games for USC I mean I keep up I definitely do
0: I have I mean as any USC alum can tell and explain we've had a rough go (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> As USC basketball fans, there have been you know fleeting moments, fleeting seasons, fun seasons that always end very, very painfully. So when I follow the USC basketball team, I kind of just like, all right, I just I don't get too caught up in it because there's there's a lot of damage there. You know, I can go down that road if we want, if I want. You know, Harold Miner actually was uh, in my dorm, I think freshman year. So I go back to the Harold Miner days. I then remember. We made it to the tournament, and Georgia Tech hit a game-winning shot. James That's Forrest. A- oh, James Forrest did it? Yep, for Georgia yeah, Tech. Yeah. Yep. So, like, you know, I just, there was the, you know what, I'm not going to go down this road. This is just going to be <laughs> painful for me. But I do follow them, and when I see them having this kind of season, I'm like, you know what, let's, let's I'm going to save my emotions for the tournament, and I will be all on board with USC once the tournament arrives. And
1: that tournament, of course, will be taking part all within the state of Indiana this year. And hopefully everything still goes as planned and they'll be able to pull it off. So I got to ask you, obviously, USC football is the big deal. What do you think about the state of the football program?
0: You know what? It's (laughs) I'm trying to, like, when you say the state, you know, the pandemic season, I don't want to, like, have any kind of conclusions about any team at all after what every team had to go through, you know, cause I cover baseball for a living. This is not trying to play a season and keep things together during the pandemic. I, it's such an outlier year for everybody. So what USC just went through, like, I don't, I, I it's just a push. Like I don't, I'm not even going to get caught up in what happened last year, but I do feel like, you know, we all want to go back to the Pete Carroll days when it just seemed so easy and it was so fun. And You know, Helton is, he's a polarizing figure in LA, and some people want him, some people don't want him, but he's been getting these guys to play. And I always try to take the optimistic view on a team, on a player, on a coach. And I feel like USC is not where we want them to be. They're not a perfect football team right now, but I believe in where this can go. And I could go into the weeds on the football team, but I feel like I want to see what happens this year before I make any kind of conclusions. I'm being very diplomatic about yes, the you team. Yes, you I are.
1: Yes, you are. I am.
0: I'm, I'm not jumping in like I normally do, just because the pandemic, I don't know how they pulled the season off. I don't know how, because I cover baseball, obviously, and I'm like, okay, this is a socially distanced sport. So it's doable. And they were talking about college football and NFL football in the summer. I'm like, I don't know how they're going to pull off this season. And they did. And so- you know, that takes not only organization, that takes leadership. And I think that coaching staff at USC showed tremendous leadership, getting them through that season and doing what they did. So there's my terribly diplomatic answer to your question. I feel bad I'm letting everybody down, but that's where where I am at as a sportscaster and human being after
1: what we've been through for the last year. The pandemic makes you look at things in a different way for sure. So Again, I am joined today on the Everything USC podcast by Chuck Garfine of NBC Sports Chicago. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, you can find it on all of your favorite podcast directories. Subscribe and rate it on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Or go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. On social media, it is Believe Podcasts. For me, I'm on Twitter. You can catch me there and reach out to me at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Chuck, let the people know how they can catch up with you. <laughs> they can Google me
0: and <laughs> or they can follow me on Twitter. I'm not on Instagram. I think I'd be on my phone even more than I am if I went on Instagram. So Twitter is where I'm at, at Chuck Garfine.
1: Hey, Trojan fans, this is Brian Jones, college football analyst for CBS Sports. You're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. So, of course, Chuck Garfine, you are... A reporter and anchor covering the Chicago White Sox for NBC Sports Chicago. So I think we got to talk about the upcoming Major League Baseball season. Spring training is just starting in Arizona and Florida. Of course, the White Sox are in Glendale, Arizona, where they share the spring training complex with the L.A. Dodgers. And if I am correct, Chuck, you are there covering the team right now, right?
0: I am. I'm here. This is a very unique setting to cover the team this year where you know, you're you not allowed in the facility. I'm doing a lot of my interviews. and In fact, I may end up doing all my interviews on Zoom, but that might open up. I'm hoping it will as spring training goes on, and I'll be covering the team when the games begin. So I'm here in Arizona. I left Chicago and got a foot of snow on top of what was already a, another foot of snow. So to actually see sunshine, I have to dig out of my house like I was basically <laughs> doing in the month of January. It's nice to be here.
1: And so, of course, the White Sox are coming off a successful season in the shortened 60 game 2020 season, 35 and 25, tied for second in the AL Central with Cleveland, a game behind the Twins. And they reached that expanded postseason as the seventh seed in the American League, lost in the wildcard series to the Oakland Athletics. But it was the first playoff appearance in a dozen years and some successful player awards as well. Jose Abreu named the AL MVP. Luis Robert finished second in the voting for AL Rookie of the Year and won a gold glove as the center fielder. And, of course, got to throw it in because this is a USC podcast. We had a USC alum, pitcher Bernardo Flores Jr., making his Major League debut for the White Sox in September, becoming the first Trojan to pitch for the White Sox since the late Tom Seaver. And he is the 116th overall Major Leaguer to come out of USC. So talk a little bit about how that season went. Like you said, crazy pandemic shortened season, but then a successful one for the White Sox.
0: Well, let me just begin with Bernardo Flores. What a great kid. What a great kid. And I say kid because he's a lot younger than me. He is not only an interesting pitcher, but he's an interesting guy. Like He loves baseball history, loves White Sox history. I did a story with him last year where we went out to Camback Ranch, which is where the White Sox train and they have these retired numbers that are out in right field and one by one by one. We just went over all of them like he knew who like Nellie Fox was who played in like the 1950s and we were just breaking down this history and then we go to his locker and he's got a like 1983 White Sox retro starter jacket that he bought on eBay and he was, you know, wearing that <laughs> So you don't see too many like 23-year-olds who really appreciate baseball history like Bernardo Flores does. And I really hope he gets a shot with the White Sox in the near future. As for the team, it's go time. It's go time. They went through a long rebuild. They traded Chris Sale and got Yohan Moncada back in that trade. They traded Jose Quintana and Adam Eden, and they went through some rough times. And here we are, you know, five years after the rebuild began, and they are talking World Series as a possibility here in 2021. They got a taste of the playoffs. They've added guys in the last couple of years like Yasmani Grandal, Dallas Keuchel, Lance Lynn. And I think the expectations are win the division, certainly make the playoffs. And I think, you know, they're a legitimate contender for the World Series. Now you're gonna have to face the Dodgers probably or the Padres, and that could be interesting, but you get in a playoff series, you never know. They're ready to take the next step. And I believe they will here in 2021
1: and to lead them was a surprising choice to many as last year Rick Renteria was a finalist for the AL Manager of the Year but he is let go in favor of the 76-year-old Hall of Famer he's already in the Hall of Fame Tony La Russa is brought back to manage the team go over that choice a little bit what was everyone thinking when the White Sox named La Russa the new manager well if you would have asked the 12-year-old
0: version of Chuck Garfine that his manager in 1983, and 79, in 1980, and when I was a kid, would later become the manager again when I was in my 40s. I would have thought, you're absolutely out of your mind. That is crazy. That'll never happen. And sure enough, here we are all these years later, almost 40 years later. Really? I mean, shoot, he took the job in 1979. So that was more than 40 years ago. He's back as manager. It was a shock. When they decided to hire him. And, you know, it's, <laughs> we're going to see if it works. I do believe it is going to work because he is, as you said, a Hall of Fame manager. He wasn't like out to pasture for the last 10 years. He was working in front offices, the Dombacks, the Red Sox, and the Angels every year since he left the Cardinals dugout in 2011. The fire is still there. He knows how to manage. And you know what? I would say he's extremely motivated by legacy. In a way, he's messing with that a little bit. He's playing with the baseball gods, going, "You know what? I'm going to come out of I don't call it retirement because he wasn't retired, but I'm going to, you know, try to add to my legacy, even though it doesn't need to be added because he's in the Hall of Fame. And if things don't go well, I mean, he'll still be a Hall of famer, but there'll be this asterisk, like, oh, he came back and look what happened." But but what if? What if he wins a World Series as a 76, 77-year-old manager in the next year or two? What a story that would be. And so not that Tony DeLuzza needs any added motivation, but you've got to know when he's looking in the mirror, he knows exactly what he potentially can do and what a story that would be, an accomplishment that would be for him
1: to do that with the White Sox. It would be one for the history books for sure. I mean, I don't think we've ever seen a real situation like this, especially to come back for a team that's not even that established yet. Like you said, you guys are on the way up and hopefully challenging for the big prize this season. Let's go into it a little bit. You already mentioned one of the big acquisitions traded for Lance Lynn to bolster that starting rotation that already has Lucas Giolito and Dallas Keuchel at the top signed Liam Hendricks away from the Oakland Athletics to be the new closer. You've got some young pitchers who are expected to contribute in Michael Kopech and Garrett Crochet. Let's begin by talking a little bit about the pitching staff for the White Sox.
0: So i will start with the rotation. When they got to the playoffs in 2020, they basically had two starters that they could trust, and that was Lucas Giolito and Keichel. You're not going to do anything in the playoffs if you only have two. Dylan Cease was struggling. Dane Dunning was a rookie. And after that, that was all they got. And they were in a three-game series with the A's, and they knew they had to get some experience and some playoff experience from a pitcher if they really wanted to win a World Series this year. So they went out and traded for Lynn. He actually, when Lynn was a rookie, he helped Tony La Russa and the Cardinals in their World Series championship. And so now you have Lynn, who's an innings eater, And he's finished in the top six in Young Award voting the last two years. That's a great addition. Dylan Cease, keep your eye out for him. He's got ace-like stuff. He struggled last year. He had problems with his mechanics. And the Sox have replaced their longtime pitching coach, Don Cooper, with a guy named Ethan Katz. Ethan Katz is from Southern California. He was the high school pitching coach of Lucas Giolito, Jack Flaherty at Harvard Westlake. And when Giolito was big time struggling after his first year with the White Sox, he went back to LA and it was Ethan Katz who helped him out and turned things around for him. Katz went to the Giants and now he is the pitching coach of the White Sox. I think he's going to really help this pitching staff and really help Cease get to the next level. So I think the starting staff should be improved. And this bullpen, by the way, this bullpen could be the best bullpen in the American League because it was already good last year. They add Liam Hendricks who ended the White Sox season with the A's. He threw the final pitch that eliminated them. And uh, they've got Garrett Crochet, as you mentioned. He's eventually going to be a starter. He's a left-hander who throws 100 miles per hour. And we learned here at Spring Training that Michael Kopech, who has, that's a whole other podcast, but I mean, he was in the Chris Sale trade. He has ace-like stuff as well, but he's had Tommy John surgery. He opted out of the season last year. He's only pitched basically one Spring Training inning in the last three years. but. He's back, and he's going to start, it looks like, in the bullpen. So this bullpen is really going to shorten games for the White Sox and help them win
1: games in 2021. And we already knew the offense was explosive. You have the AL MVP coming back in Jose Abreu. You've got Luis Robert holding things down in center field, but – Also, you already mentioned Yasmani Grandal behind the plate. Tim Anderson, the shortstop. Nick Madrigal, good young player at second base. You brought back Adam Eaton to patrol the outfield as well. And Eloy Jimenez is back. I mean, this is a good mix of veterans and young guys, it seems. And a very explosive offense is what I think most people are expecting out of the White Sox, correct?
0: Yeah, and they're fun. This is a fun team. Tim Anderson's fun. Aloy Jimenez fun. And a lot of people are thinking, okay, this is a fun team and you're hiring Tony La Russa. He doesn't mean fun. He doesn't <laughs> represent fun. But if you look into it a little further, Tony La Russa managed Jose Conseco and Mark McGuire, you know, and Dennis Eckersley. And they had some flamboyance to them. And, you know, Albert Pujols used to bat flip, you know, and people think like he's not going to like Tim Anderson bat flipping. I think he'll be fine with that. But, yeah, this, this is a fun, competitive team. And I think what they needed was a, an edge. They didn't really have an edge last year. They were just kind of, like, happy to be there. And so the guys they brought in, Eaton, Lynn, Hendricks, Larusa. they've got a little edge. And uh, the edge is just a word, you know, but it's also a mentality. And in a 162-game season, <laughs> that's a long season. Like, it's easy to have an edge when you have a football season you play 16 games oh show up once a week okay we'll bring the edge well how about game 50 game 80 120 155 you need those kind of players who
1: kind of bring that every day I think the Sox added that this year and a few guys I think some people will recognize the names at least who are non-roster invitees in training camp you've got catcher Jonathan Lucroy trying to hang on you've got a former number one overall pick in the draft by the Tampa Bay Rays Tim Beckham in camp, and then a young guy that I think a lot of people have big expectations for, played at Cal, Andrew Vaughn. Talk a little bit about what those guys and maybe some other names you might have for us to look out for.
0: Well, Andrew Vaughn is an interesting guy that, you know, I saw Marcus Simeon, another Cal guy, saw him about a year ago, and he was just raving about Andrew Vaughn. And this was Simeon coming off an MVP caliber season. And he said, I wish I could hit like Vaughn can. I mean, that's what he said. So it's interesting. A lot of us in the media were thinking the Sox are going to have to upgrade at DH. They had Enderman Encarnacion. That was a major flop in 2020. So there was Nelson Cruz out there. That was like a pipe dream. How about Michael Brantley? Haven't played left in DH. That's who I wanted. But the White Sox, you know, they stuck with Andrew Vaughn. Now, if there was no pandemic last year, Vaughn would have had a full minor league season. And I would have said, Yeah, he's ready in 2021 to be the DH slash first baseman, play him wherever he is because he's a great hitter. But there wasn't a minor league season. All he could do was hit in the alternate site for the White Sox. So my thought process was, is this the best way for him to be in a position to succeed, having no experience above high A, to all of a sudden be a DH on this playoff caliber team? Well, it looks like that's what the White Sox are going to do. He's a mature hitter. and. He'll probably bat seventh, but he is a guy to watch, you know, and so everyone in California who's listening to this might know him or know about him. He's not a big guy. He's kind of a smaller first baseman size, but he's a hitter. He's got a great plate discipline, awareness, and approach. And that is every White Sox fan is going to be watching him in spring training to see what he can do.
1: And finally, We are still in the midst of a coronavirus pandemic. How do you see this season laying out? Is there going to be disruptions like we saw last season? Are we going to be able to get through 162 games in MLB? I don't think anybody can answer that one. Actually,
0: I know nobody can answer that with 100% certainty. What I can tell you is that they have... The experience of the 60-game season. Now that was 60 games localized traveling. Now they're you know playing a full schedule, and you know that is potentially risky. But at the same time, we are now entering. We have the vaccines that are out there. I'd like to think that's going to help keep the numbers down and keep things to a controllable situation where you can play 162-game season. Maybe some teams don't play as many, but they can get through this. I'm Pretty confident they should be able to get through the season. Are there going to be hiccups along the way? I think you should expect that because that's what we're dealing with. There could be some. I think if there's going to be hiccups, the most it might actually be here, uh, you know, during spring training when you know the players aren't vaccinated yet. So I think that's where kind of how I look at it. And then in terms of fans, you're starting to see certain certain teams, depending on what state they're in, announce that they're going to allow you know anywhere from you know 10 to 20 percent capacity. But like in Illinois and California and New York, you know, I think there are stricter measures in place there. So I'm not sure when fans will be allowed. But I'd like to think and hope that by the middle of summer, fans are allowed in the ballparks wearing masks. And we can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel with this whole COVID situation. I mean, I don't know when it's ever going to go away, but where we can go back to some kind of normal life. That's the (laughs) <laughs> Amateur epidemiologist Chuck Arfine talking here. Don't, don't listen to what a sportscaster has to say, but that's where I'm coming from.
1: He doesn't play a doctor on TV. He is just no. the White Sox reporter. And again, you said that the hopes and expectations are really high. Even talking about World Series, how do you see this White Sox season ending up?
0: I see them competing for the division all year long. And if they don't, then they've not met expectations. And that'll be a major disappointment. If they are unable to compete, they should make the playoffs. If they don't make the playoffs, that's, yeah, that something went wrong. When you get to the postseason, anything can happen. And there's a lot of like X factors to this White Sox team from Dylan Cease, Michael Kopech, Andrew Vaughn. So, you know, is Yohan Mankata going to come back like he was in 2019? Because he struggled with COVID actually in 2020 and it affected his play. You know, if enough things go right, they should be right there competing for a World Series title, but it's baseball, and it goes in all sorts of different directions once the season begins, whether it's underperformance, injuries, you name it. So it's tough to predict baseball, but if there ever was a season where I thought the Sox had a legitimate shot in the last, you know, 15 years,
1: this is it. This is their best chance right here, right now. This is the Everything USC podcast. I'm Naro Wang. My guest today is... A USC alum and a reporter, anchor, and podcaster for the Chicago White Sox on NBC Sports Chicago, Chuck Garfine. You can subscribe and rate the show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and more. You can also go to the website believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com and get it there. On social media, it's Believe Podcasts. For me, you can get me on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Chuck, if someone wants to see Chuck on TV or on social media, how do they find you?
0: Okay, well, so I'm on NBC Sports Chicago. I host the pre- and post-game shows, actually with Frank Thomas and Ozzie Gian, and I host a White Sox Talk podcast. It's a White Sox podcast called the White Sox Talk podcast. It is anything and everything White Sox, so uh, they can find that wherever you get your podcast—Apple, Spotify, Google, you name it. So that's where you can find me.
1: This is Dane Bland, head coach of the USC women's beach volleyball team and Olympic gold medalist, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. And before I let you go today, Chuck Garfine as an established broadcaster who's gone to many places and worked in many areas and now is doing his dream job back in his home area of Chicago, working for the Chicago White Sox. What kind of advice would you like to give to aspiring broadcasters or even an old guy like me who's still trying to progress in his career? <laughs> well, the thing about broadcasting is there's no you know, Bible to it. There's
0: no book that says, this is how you do it. This is how you get from point A to point B to point C. One thing I will say is it takes a lot of hard work, not only in breaking into the business, but staying in the business and excelling in the business. So you got to find your way through it and everyone's got their own path. But what I say to anyone who wants to get in the industry and stay in it, it's so competitive that if you're kind of like, I'd like to do it. No, no. If you want to be in this industry and succeed in it, you have to like feel it deep in your bones because there's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of disappointment. The jobs aren't plentiful. You know, like how many lawyers are there in LA? (laughs) 10,000? There's a lot. Okay. How many sportscasters are there? Like 40? You know, so it's, it's really, really competitive. But if you love it, if you love it, you don't want to do anything else but it, then you do it. And that's how I went about doing it. My first job was... I didn't have it. I graduated from college. Didn't have a tape, or, you know, tape. I didn't have a tape, but never reel with the. I I didn't have any. I had some radio experience, but you know, I wanted to be on television. I had to find a place to get on TV. So I happened to be in Aspen, Colorado, the summer before I graduated from college, and there was this like local cable access channel there that I noticed. So I graduated from college a year later, and I remembered it. So I called them up and I said, you "Guys, looking for a sportscaster?" And they're like, oh, "We've never had a sportscaster." And I said, well, I'm considering moving out there. I'll move out there. I'll get other jobs to pay the rent if you let me just do sports for you guys for free. And he's like, sure. So I went out there. There was a camera that I brought that I would cover you know, Aspen High School sports with. <laughs> he had a little studio there and I would do a little sportscast to put a tape together to send out to stations. And it took a year. And I finally got a job in Traverse City, Michigan, the NBC affiliate doing Local sports there. And so that was not written anywhere in any kind of instruction manual as to how to get into broadcasting, but that's how it worked for me. So, you know, if you ask, how do you get in this business, what kind of advice I'd give, you have to love it and really want it and work your butt off to stay in it and work your butt off, you know, to get a job. And every day, I mean, the amount of work I put in today to do the best. At my job today is exactly the same as I did when I was first starting out, to give my best, to be my best. And know what I'm good at. Work on that. And know what I'm bad at. You know, I, I'm not a God-given sportscaster. If you look at my original sports casts, I was terrible. I'm actually surprised they let me on the air. I mean, I was not like stumbling over every single word. I was presentable, but I don't think you would have seen me and said, oh, this guy's gonna be a sportscaster in Chicago one day. Because <laughs> I was not good. But I had to work at it and work at it. And that's what it takes. And everyone you see on the air doing sports, they make it look easy. I think it's because that's the job, is to make it look easy, because it's not. And so it takes a lot of work, a lot of reps. And the people you see like in LA on the air, they were starting out too. And if you ask them when they started out, they probably would say the same thing. They weren't good either. <laughs> so it's a long game. And you know, you're still trying to find your way in it And who's to say, you know, you're not going to take that next step and you never know how or what's going to happen or when or where, but if you're open to it and you're willing to work for it,
1: you can get it. That's great advice. And I think everyone needs to keep striving to get better. And if you don't love it, you're right. This is the wrong business for you to be in for sure. And I want to leave with this. What have you learned from your various stops in your career journey that you feel has impacted your work the most?
0: Wow. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is just technology, and I'm not sure you're expecting that answer, but the way my job as a sportscaster has changed, even in the last like four years, like when I started out, I was just a TV sportscaster doing, you know, a three or four minute cast. and then ESPN News came on the air, and I got an opportunity to be an anchor there, so now you have a 24-hour sports news channel that all of a sudden came into my life and I'm doing half hour, hour shows. Actually, I was a solo anchor there for like three hour shifts as like a 25, 26 year old. So then I'm doing that. Then the internet comes along. Okay. So I started out, there's no internet, then social media, then podcasts, you know, and then I'm sideline reporting. And then there's just a lot of different ways that my career has evolved and the way technology has evolved where, you know, I'm not just doing a sportscast. I'm on Twitter. I'm doing podcasts, you know, and different ways to reach the fans. It's not just about television. I mean, to be honest with you, since the White Sox season ended, I've barely been on television this whole off season because so much of what I do is off TV because you're getting people on their phones because that's now where so much of our lives are. So how has my job, my life been impacted over the years. It's been because I, I've, you have to follow where technology has gone and is going. So I think that's the thing that really has impacted
1: me the most is that. That is an interesting perspective. And you're right. I was not expecting that answer, but I think it's a very good one and something that all of us need to consider as we move forward because technology is ever evolving and you have to keep up. So- I appreciate that answer, and I appreciate your time, Chuck Garfine. Thank you so much for joining the Everything USC podcast.
0: Hey, it's been great to be on with you, uh, walking down memory lane, talking about the past, the present, and I guess the future, because we'll see where technology You never know what's coming next, and uh, you got to embrace it, whatever it might be. And so it's been great being on with you, and fight on, all you USC Trojans out there
1: chuck enjoy the warm weather while you've got it in spring training in arizona before you gotta head home to chicago and hopefully by that time it will have warmed up for you so we can only hope that the winter storms that are affecting the country right now will clear up and things get better as spring blossoms and baseball begins so For my guest, Chuck Garfine of NBC Sports Chicago, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 21 of the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in L.A. and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as always, I end every show with a hearty fight on.